0: Almighty God, we're very thankful, Father, for another day, another opportunity to study, to grow, and to learn, to become more like Jesus. I continue to pray, Father, for your people around the globe, around this country, around the world, that you will continue to be with them, bless them, hold their hands, help us all continue to grow despite whatever trials we may have going on in our lives. I'm thankful, Father, for the scriptures. I'm thankful for the information given to us about Paul. I pray, Father, as we continue to study these things, that we will will have a passion burning within us to spread your gospel, to spread it to as many people as we can as Paul did in the first century. Thank you, Father, for preserving the scriptures, for preserving these aspects of Paul's life, And let this study be something that glorifies your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to another Bible study video. Very, very thankful for you tuning in to these videos. We are currently engaged in a series of studies that we've called Paul's Preaching. We're looking at the ministry, the work of the Apostle Paul in the first century. This is actually the seventh lesson in our series And if you recall, in our last video, we actually concluded Paul's second missionary journey. We traveled with Paul to Corinth. We saw how he was able to do some good work in Corinth. He established or planted a local church in Corinth. He converted many Gentiles in Corinth. We then went with him to Ephesus. When Paul went to Ephesus, that would be that would mark the first time that he would preach the gospel in Asia. Paul preached the gospel in Ephesus, and that went very well. The people wanted him to stay longer, but he told them that he couldn't. He said, "If the Lord wills, I will come back and I will preach to you again." And we're going to see the Lord is going to make that the Lord is going to make that possible. And so. We have Paul going from Corinth, we have him going to Ephesus, and then we concluded that last study by traveling with Paul from Ephesus back to Antioch in Syria. That is where his home congregation was. And so, now that we have concluded Paul's second missionary journey, today we want to travel with Paul on his third and final missionary journey. We want to travel with Paul on his final journey before he is arrested by the Jews. And he's going to spend time in prison in, in Jerusalem and in Caesarea Maritima. And then eventually he's going to make his way to Rome. So we're going to, we're going to be talking about Paul's third and final missionary journey today in this class. But before we, we start that journey, I think it is important that we just spend some time talking about a key event a key moment that is mentioned to us at the end of Acts, the 18th chapter. So will you go in your Bible to Acts, chapter 18? Please go in your Bible to Acts, chapter 18. I want to show you something here in Acts, chapter 18. I want to start reading with verse number 23. Here in the context, Paul has just wrapped up his second missionary journey. In verse 22, we find him landing at Caesarea. We find him being greeted by the church there, and, and then we find him going to Antioch in Syria. That's his home congregation. Now, beginning with verse 23, this is the beginning. This marks the beginning. This verse marks the beginning of Paul's third missionary journey. The scripture says, Acts 18, 23, And having spent some time there, he left and passed successfully through the Galatian region and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. I want you to go back up and look at verse 24. Verse 24. Well, this time verse number 24, we're we're introduced to a man named Apollos. You may be familiar with Apollos. Remember, Apollos is mentioned several times throughout Paul's letters. He's mentioned several times throughout the New Testament, but this is the first time that he's actually mentioned in the book of Acts. We're introduced to him in Acts. We learn some things about him. We learn that he's a Jew from Alexandria, Alexandria, Egypt. Alexandria, Egypt was one of the most educated cities in the ancient world. In fact, the Septuagint was made in Alexandria, Egypt. The Septuagint is the, Hebrew transla- is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. That translation was made by seventy. That's what the word Septuagint means. It was made by 70 Jewish scholars in Alexandria, Egypt. Apollos is a Jew from Alexandria, Egypt, and he's eloquent. The Bible says he's an eloquent, he's a good speaker, he's a great speaker, and he's mighty in the scriptures. He not only knows the scriptures, but he can preach them in a very effective way. He's an eloquent man, he's mighty in the scriptures, he knows the word of God. He knew some things about Jesus Christ, but unfortunately, he was only familiar with the baptism of John. He he, he wasn't familiar with the plan of salvation that Jesus gives in Mark 16 and verse 16, when Jesus says he who believes and is baptized will be saved. He wasn't familiar with the preaching of Peter in Acts 2 and verse 38, when Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Apollos was not familiar with that plan of salvation. He wasn't familiar with the one baptism of Ephesians 4 and verse 5. He wasn't familiar with the baptism that enables one to be added to the church of our Lord. He was only familiar with John's baptism, a baptism that was no longer in force. A baptism that was for forgiveness of sins, but it only was designed to help people prepare to receive the Messiah when, when they saw him. John's baptism, through John's baptism, you were not added to the one body of the church. To be added to the one body of the church, you would have to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ after his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so Apollos was not familiar with the plan of salvation that Jesus gave before he ascended into heaven. He was only familiar with the baptism that was no longer in force. And so Aquila and Priscilla, they heard Apollos. They heard him. They heard his preaching. They heard him preaching a baptism that was no longer in force. And they saw that he did not know the complete story of Jesus. And so they took him aside, the Bible says, and they explained to him the word of God more accurately They taught him about Jesus and what happened to Jesus on the cross. They taught him about the resurrection of Jesus. They taught him about the one baptism of Jesus, the baptism that Jesus commanded and authorized to be administered by disciples before he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God. Priscilla and Aquila helped correct Apollos and show him. They showed him the truth. And thankfully, Apollos was a very humble man. Unlike what many people today do, even many preachers, when being corrected, Apollos didn't get angry. He didn't say, how dare you question me? No, Apollos, his desire was to please God. His desire was to preach the truth. And when he realized that he was preaching error, error that was so serious that it could have caused people to lose their souls, He changed. He humbly received the instructions of Aquila and Priscilla. And just as a reminder, remember, this is the same Aquila and Priscilla who were friends of the Apostle Paul, the same Aquila and Priscilla who were left by Paul in Ephesus, the same Aquila and Priscilla who were in the tent-making business with Paul. These two Christians, this Christian couple, they helped Apollos. They helped him grow in the Lord. They corrected his false teaching and so in verse 27 of Acts 18 after Apollos humbly received their instruction it says he wanted to go across to Achaia he wants to go to where the Corinthian church is and the brethren encouraged him and they wrote to the disciples to welcome him and when he had arrived he greatly helped those who had believed through grace so now he's going to the Corinth to help the brethren there For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So notice how after Apollos is corrected, after he's, he's corrected in his teaching, he continues to go on and do good work. He goes to Corinth. Paul makes reference to this in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul tells us that some people in Corinth were baptized by Apollos. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered. This is what he's talking about. Apollos goes to Corinth to water, and God gives the increase. And so Apollos, he receives the instruction humbly, and he goes to Corinth, and he helps the brethren there. He converts people in Corinth. And the reason I wanted to emphasize this particular account is because I believe that really understanding what goes on here with Apollos is absolutely critical to being able to really appreciate what happens to Paul at the beginning of his third missionary journey. You see, on his third missionary journey, Paul's going to travel from Antioch in Syria through Asia Minor. Now, whenever the New Testament mentions Asia, it's talking about Asia Minor. It's not talking about China and Japan. It's talking about places that are like modern Turkey today, around there. He goes from Antioch through Asia Minor back to Corinth again, and then he's going to make his way to Jerusalem. And we're going to, I'm going to talk with you about why he's going to go to Jerusalem. Now, Paul's missionary journey takes place over a period of four years, it seems, from 54 A.D. to 58 A.D. After spending some time back in Antioch of Syria, that's his home congregation, Paul's going to travel through Galatia and Phrygia, Acts 18.23. He goes back through Galatia and Phrygia. This part of the trip would have allowed him to revisit many of the churches that he planted on his first preaching journey. The church in Derby, the church in Lystra, Iconium, the church in Pisidian, Antioch. Paul was able to revisit many of these churches. In fact, Acts 18.23 says that Paul passed successfully through these regions strengthening all of the disciples. And so, for, for the most part, on Paul's third missionary journey, his goal is to go back to many of these churches he planted and help the folks there, help the disciples there, help them mature, help them grow in the Lord and stay strong in the service of God. That's what Paul's mission is on the third missionary journey, to go back and to revisit a lot of these churches that he had established. Now, eventually, he's going to make his way to Ephesus. He's going to make his way to Ephesus. Go back to Acts, the 18th chapter. Look at verse 20 back at Acts 18, 20 and 21. If you remember, there was a time when the Holy Spirit forbade Paul from going into Asia. That was at the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. Paul wanted to go preach in Asia. He wanted to go to Bithynia. Holy, the Holy Spirit said, no, don't want you to go into Asia right now. Now at the end, towards the end of Paul's second missionary journey, now the Holy Spirit gives him the green light. He says you can go to Asia and preach. In fact, not only will you go to Asia, but you're going to go to one of the major cities in Asia. You're going to go to Ephesus, the capital of Asia. Now, when Paul preached in Asia the first time, Acts 18, 20 and 21 tells us that the people received his message so positively that they asked him to stay. They They said, we want you to hang around a little bit, continue to preach to us. Paul says, I can't. I can't do that right now, but if the Lord wills, I will come back. Well, it was the the Lord's will, evidently. Paul was able to come back. He made his way back to Ephesus on his third missionary journey. Ephesus is an important city for Paul to be in. This is a great place for Paul to go and preach. Why? Well, because of its excellent harbor and location on the major trade routes of Asia. Because Asia, or Ephesus, I'm sorry, was the commercial hub for the whole province. Ephesus had over 200,000 people who lived and worked there. This is one of the major cities of the ancient world. It is a major commercial hub. It is a place where a lot of trade routes are found. Over 200,000 people live and work in Asia, and politically, it was one one of the most important cities in Asia. The governor of Asia took up much of his residence in Ephesus every single year. It was also a significant city because it housed the temple of Diana or Artemis. This temple was one of the great wonders of the ancient world. Many people would flock to this temple to worship Artemis, to engage in idolatry. and So this is a major city for Paul to be preaching in. But when he arrives back in Ephesus, he has to clean up. He's got to clean up this mess that was created by Apollos, unfortunately. You see, when Paul got to Ephesus... When he arrived back in Ephesus, he encountered 12 men, 12 men who had been incorrectly taught by Apollos. We know that because the scripture says they had only heard of the baptism of John. Remember Apollos for a time. He was only familiar with the baptism of John. He was only familiar with a baptism that was no longer in force. He taught that to these 12 men. And so these 12 men were not familiar With the Great Commission, they were not familiar with the need to be baptized in the name of Jesus for forgiveness of sins. They had not even heard of the Holy Spirit. They had heard of the baptism of John and they had not heard of the Holy Spirit. Now, when the scripture mentions the hearing of the Holy Spirit here, Luke is actually making a reference to the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. He's actually making a reference to the miraculous spiritual gifts that were imparted on disciples through the laying on of the apostles' hands. These 12 men had not heard about the miraculous power of the Spirit. They were not familiar with that concept at all. So Paul taught them about that concept. He taught them about Jesus. He taught them about the salvation found in Jesus. He taught them about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He taught them about the need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And these men were baptized in the name of Jesus. And after they were baptized into the one baptism of Ephesians 4 and verse 5, Paul then laid his hands on them. He laid his hands on them to impart upon them miraculous spiritual gifts. The miraculous spiritual gifts could only be transferred two disciples through the laying on of an apostle's hands. We learn that all throughout the New Testament. We learn that right here in Acts chapter 19. Paul baptized these men in the name of Jesus Christ, and he imparted upon them, imparted to them miraculous spiritual gifts. And so Paul, his first mission in Ephesus is to clean up this mess that Apollos had created because he was only familiar with John's baptism. Now, as Paul continues to work in Ephesus, Acts 19, verse 8 tells us that he continues with his normal method of evangelism. By now, you should be very familiar with Paul's normal method of evangelism. The scripture says that for three months, Paul preached in the synagogue of the Jews. Remember, whenever Paul would go to a city, the very first thing he would do is he would go and find a synagogue of the Jews he would go and find a religious assembly of Jews. Romans 1 and verse 16, he preached the gospel to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And so he preaches the gospel to the Jews first in Corinth. He does that in Pisidian Antioch. He does that in Philippi. He does that in Thessalonica. He does that in Berea. He does that every place he goes. And unfortunately, like in many of the places Paul went to, the Jews don't receive the gospel so well. Now some do believe it. Some are able to be reasoned with, but for the most part, many of the Jews reject the gospel. The three months Paul preached in the synagogue of the Jews, for two more years, due to Jewish opposition, he has to teach daily in the school of Tyrannius. And so he's preaching in the synagogue. When he can't do that, do that anymore, he then preaches in the school of Tyrenius. Paul will actually spend three years, three years in Ephesus. The Bible says in Acts 19 and verse 10 that all who lived in Ephesus, all who lived in Ephesus heard the word of the Lord. Both Jews and Greeks. They're hearing the gospel, they're hearing the truth. How. Is it possible that all in Asia you could hear the word of the Lord through one man? Well, think about it. When people hear Paul's preaching in the synagogue or in the school of Tyrenius, if they are converted by the preaching, they will then go and spread that message to other people. If they're in town for work, they will leave and go back home at some point. And they'll spread that message to the people back home. Word of mouth. So Paul, through his preaching in the synagogue and in the school of Tyrenius, he's able to spread the gospel throughout the world because the people he converts, they then go and they spread the message to others as well. And so Paul is preaching the word of God throughout Ephesus and the gospel is being heard by Jews and Gentiles throughout all of Asia. In fact, beyond spreading the glorious gospel, in Acts 19 and verse 11, we learn that Paul is also performing amazing miracles. He's performing amazing miracles to confirm the fact that he is a messenger of God. God's miraculous work is being manifested through Paul. It is being exercised through Paul. In fact, God's power in Paul was so amazing that people could touch a handkerchief, could take a handkerchief, They could touch Paul with it, then lay it on the sick or demon-possessed, and they would immediately be made whole. That's what the Scripture says. Go back and look. Look at verse number 19, or Acts chapter 19, I'm sorry, verse 13. Look at verse 13, because Paul's miraculous work here is going to expose the fraudulent exorcist. When we say exorcist, and when the Bible says exorcist, it's talking about people who have the ability to cast demons out of others. You see, during this time, demon possession was a big thing. Demons were getting inside of people. And Jesus was able to cast demons out. The apostles were able to cast demons out. They were true exorcists. But you also have fraudulent exorcists. You also have men who claim to be able to do that like Jesus and the apostles, but they were nothing more than phonies and frauds. And Paul's true exorcisms were exposing these people. Acts 19.13, but also some of the Jewish exorcists. Now, these are phonies here. I think you're going to see that as we continue to read. These are not the real deal like Paul. They went from place to place attempting to name over those who have the evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Notice they're, they're telling demons to come out of people by the name of Jesus, the same Jesus that Paul preached about. Seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answers and said to them, I recognize Jesus. And I know who Paul is. I know about Paul, but who are you? These demons say, We know about Jesus. We know that he's the Son of God. And we know Paul is a worker of Jesus, but we haven't heard of you. Even the demons know that these men are frauds. They didn't respect these men at all, but they respected Paul and the Lord Jesus. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Notice how God used the demon, used the demon here. He used the evil spirit to bring judgment on the fraudulent exorcist. Paul was the real deal. Paul really did have miraculous power from God. He really was able to cast out demons, but these other men, they were phonies. They were fakes. The demons didn't recognize them, and God used the evil spirit to bring judgment upon these, these fraudulent men. And so Paul is preaching, converting people, performing miracles. People are witnessing the power of God in the region, and while Paul's stay in Ephesus was successful, And while it was longer than any other city he preached in, we need to understand that Paul's three-year stay in Ephesus was not very peaceful. It wasn't very peaceful. Remember, I made mention of the fact earlier how Ephesus was a significant city in the ancient world because it housed the temple of Artemis. It housed the temple of Diana, one of the great wonders of the ancient world. That temple was found in Ephesus. And that caused some problems for the Apostle Paul. It caused some serious problems for Paul. Tradesmen, like Demetrius, grew very wealthy, making little replicas of Artemis. They made little idols, little replicas of Diana or Artemis and they would make a lot of money selling those replicas. But if Paul is preaching against idolatry, which he was, if Paul is preaching that there is only one true and living God and we must serve his son, Jesus Christ, then obviously if people are converted by that message, they're not going to want to buy these little replicas anymore. They're not going to want to go to the temple of Artemis. They're not going to want to be involved in idolatry Because Christianity stands against idolatry. Christianity preaches against idolatry. We preach the need to serve the one true and living God. That's what Paul preached. And that preaching was making things go bad for the tradesmen in Ephesus. People are not wanting to buy these little Artemis replicas anymore if they're being converted. And so that makes these men mad. Paul is hurting their business, and as a result of him hurting their business, hurting their money, hurting their pockets, they retaliate. They start a riot. They cause confusion in the city of Ephesus. They actually drag many of Paul's companions into the theater of Ephesus, but thankfully, the scripture says, that no real violence took place because the Romans wasn't tolerated. Thankfully, no one was hurt as a result of this, but because of Paul's preaching against idolatry, a riot was started by those who made idols. Paul's companions were drugged into the huge theater of Ephesus. Thankfully, nobody was seriously hurt. Now, after the riot ceased, Paul went north 200 miles to Troas. We learn about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. In order to really be able to comprehend all Paul does on these journeys, you really can't just look at Acts. you got to consider all the New Testament says about it. And so we learn about this part of Paul's journey, not from Acts, but from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. In 2 Corinthians 2, we learn that Paul, after he left Ephesus, He went north 200 miles to Troas. He went there because he hoped to meet up with Titus. He hoped Titus would have showed up and given him news on the Corinthians. You see, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. He wrote 1 Corinthians from Ephesus. And in 1 Corinthians, he blasted the Corinthian church. He heard some bad things about them, some sins that they were involved in, and he wrote a letter to them rebuking them and telling them to clean up their act and start obeying the teachings that he had given them. Paul wrote that letter from Ephesus, and when he got to Troas, he hoped Titus would have showed up with with news of how the Corinthians received that letter. You see, that letter was delivered to the Corinthian church by Titus. And Titus was going to come back to Paul and tell him how the Corinthians received that letter, but Titus didn't show up in Troas. And so Paul is anxious at this point. He has some anxiety. He's maybe wondering if all those disciples are going to fall away. And from Troas, he traveled 180 miles to Philippi. And when he got to Philippi, which is in Macedonia, Titus does show up there, and Titus has great news for him. Titus tells him that the Corinthians received that letter of rebuke in a very positive way. They were not going to leave the Lord. They weren't mad at Paul they received it in a very positive way and they were going to start they were going to start cleaning up their act. And so Paul is probably very encouraged after hearing this news from Titus. And from there he's going to write 2 Corinthians. We'll say more about that later. Now, after Paul spent some time in Macedonia, he then went to Greece. And Greece and Achaia or synonymous. When we say he went back to Greece, we mean he went back to Achaia. We mean he joined up eventually with the church at Corinth. He went went back to them again. He went back to the church at Corinth. It seems he spent about three months there. Maybe even spent the winter there. And after he spent some time in Greece, due to an attempt on his life, he had to alter his plans. You see, his original plan was to leave Achaia and go back across the Mediterranean Sea to Antioch in Syria. But he couldn't do that. He couldn't do that because there was an assassination attempt on his life. It appears some Jews had plotted to kill him either in his ship ship or near around his ship. And so when Paul learned about that, that the providence of God, he changed his plans. He didn't go back towards the direction of Syria, instead he traveled back through Macedonia. He retraced his steps. He goes back through Macedonia. Once he gets to Macedonia, he sails back to Troas, and when he gets to Troas, he worships with the brethren there. Now let me just say this. At this point, Paul is not thinking about going back to Antioch in Syria at all anymore. By this point, Paul is going to make his way to Jerusalem. And I'm going to talk with you more about that towards the end of the video. Paul's not going to go back to Antioch and Syria. We have no evidence that he ever went back to to that congregation. At this point, he's going to Jerusalem. And as he's making his way to Jerusalem, he actually delays his journey a few days because he wants to worship with the saints in Troas on the first day of the week. He gathers with them on the first day of the week to break bread. The breaking of bread there in that context is a reference to partaking of the Lord's Supper. The breaking of bread, that language is used a couple of different ways in the scriptures. In Acts 2 and verse 46, the breaking of bread there is a reference to the early Christians partaking of a common meal together. Eating their daily meals together. Here in Acts 20 and verse 7, you really got to say the context to see What the breaking of bread is making a reference to in each instance is used. But here in this verse, this is clearly a worship assembly. This is Paul with the brethren in Troas partaking of the Lord's Supper. This is the only verse in the New Testament that shows us when and how often the Lord wants his people to partake of the Lord's Supper. In Matthew 26... And in 1 Corinthians 11, we find a commandment from the Lord to partake of the Lord's Supper. But how do we know when to do it? How do we know how often to do it? This verse tells us, on the first day of the week. Not on the first day of the week once a month. This verse does not say that. Not on the first day of the week once a year. This verse does not say that. This verse says that they took it on the first day of the week. This is what you call an approved apostolic example because an apostle was present on this occasion, we know that God was pleased with what was going on here. They took it on the first day of the week. That's when we're supposed to do it today. First day of the week. First day of the week, the disciples came together with Paul to take the Lord's Supper. In this worship assembly, Paul also preached a sermon, and he also even raised a young man from the dead. The Bible says that in this worship assembly, sitting on the, at the third loft, Near, at, a, in a windowsill, was a man named Eutychus. Eutychus was probably a slave. He had worked all day. He had walked to worship service, fell asleep in the in the service, and his sleep was so he was in such a deep sleep that he fell from the third loft and probably broke his neck. He died on the spot. But the apostle Paul, by the power of God, raised the man from the dead. And so you got preaching taking place in this worship. Assembly, you got the Lord's Supper being partaken of or partook of, and then you also got a miracle taking place. This is a lesson for anyone who may want to go to sleep in church. Notice how in the Bible, when people went to sleep in church, good stuff didn't happen to them. So you may want to take a lesson from that. And if you do happen to die in the worship assembly today from falling asleep in church, unfortunately, we don't have anybody that can raise you from the dead. There are no Apostle Pauls in the church today, men who have that power. But here you got a man raised from the dead who died in church because he fell asleep and fell from the third loft. Now, after Paul worshiped with the brethren in Troas, he then made his way to Asos. He walked 20 miles to Asos. From Asos, he sailed to Matalina, then he went to Chios and then Samos, Eventually he went from there and arrived in Miletus. From Miletus, he was going to sail to Jerusalem. But before he sailed to Jerusalem from Miletus, he wanted to meet, he first wanted to meet with the, the elders from the church at Ephesus. These were men that he had worked with for three years. These were men that he was very close to. And he wanted to talk with them about some important things because he may not see them again, because he was going. He was going to Jerusalem. Now, that is essentially Paul's third missionary journey. We're at Acts, at this point, we are at Acts 20 and verse 17. Now, before we close up shop here, I want to say a couple other things to you that I think are very important for us to highlight. Okay. Two of the things I want to make mention of. First, I want to make mention of Paul's letters. Remember in our last video, I made the point that beginning. In Paul's or on Paul's second missionary journey, he starts writing several inspired letters that are preserved for us in the canon of Scripture. We made the point that he wrote for sure 1st and 2nd Thessalonians on his second missionary journey. And we're pretty certain that on his third missionary journey, he writes at least three more letters. He writes 1st Corinthians. He wrote 1 Corinthians in 57 A.D. in the spring from Ephesus. He wrote this letter to the Corinthian church because he had heard from some people that this church had some problems. They got into some serious problems once he left them. They had division taking place. They were divided over preachers, backing behind their favorite preachers, backing behind and forming factions in the church over the men who had baptized them. They were involved in idolatry, had, a, had trouble giving up idolatry. They had issues with, with issues with marriage and divorce and sexual intimacy, had issues with the exercising of their miraculous spiritual gifts. They were not exercising those gifts in a decently and orderly way. They were suing one another. They were tolerating a brother who was involved in sexual immorality with probably his stepmother. They were letting him be in fellowship with them. They were not exercising discipline towards him in love. They even had some misunderstandings about the resurrection. He had some serious problems, and Paul wrote them that letter, 1 Corinthians, in 57 A.D. in the spring to help them properly address these problems. Later on, Titus shows up in Macedonia and he tells Paul that the Corinthians received that first letter in a positive way. Paul was very happy about that, and so he wrote 2 Corinthians. He wrote that in the fall of 57 AD. He wrote that letter to commend them for their humble attitude They continued giving them further instructions designed to build them up in the Lord. And he also talked with them about making sure that they were busy about gathering a collection for the needy saints in Jerusalem. We'll say more about that in just a moment. Also in 57 AD, Paul wrote the book of Romans. He wrote Romans from Corinth. Romans is one of the very critical books of the New Testament. It is also one of the most abused books in the New Testament. It is a book that talks about the most important issue that we could ever talk about, and that is the issue of our salvation. It talks about how if we're going to be saved, we're going to be saved by being justified by faith in Christ, not by by keeping the old law of Moses, not by trying to earn our salvation. Instead, by being saved, In Jesus Christ by having faith in Christ. The book of Romans tells us that God loves all people. He loves the Jew and the Gentile. And he saves them both the same way through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what Romans deals with the issue of salvation. Now another book that may have also been written on this journey is the book of Galatians. I made the point in the last video that I personally believe that Galatians was written on Paul's second missionary journey. But some suggest that it could have been written on his third journey. And Galatians is another book that deals with the topic of salvation. It speaks of how God's method for saving people under the new covenant is by faith in Christ. We are justified by faith in Christ, not by keeping the old law of Moses. Jew and Gentile come to the Lord in the same way under the new, under the new covenant. And that is through Jesus. And so I just want you to notice how there are many letters being written during these missionary journeys of Paul. Now, one more thing I need to talk about, then we're going to close. And that is, I need to say something. I need to say something about this contribution for the needy saints, the needy saints in Jerusalem. In Romans, the 15th chapter, verses 22 through 25, Paul says he had hoped to go to Rome on his third missionary journey. He wanted to preach the gospel in Rome, but he did not get to go because he was hurrying to Jerusalem to take financial help to the brethren who were in need. You see, due to a severe famine that was especially affecting the Judean world, saints in Jerusalem were struggling financially. They were struggling to obtain the basic necessities of life. And so Paul told the churches in Galatia and Asia and Greece, these are predominantly Gentile churches, he told them to start collecting money on the first day of the week to help their needy brethren. And they do that. These Gentile churches start collecting funds to help their needy Jewish brethren in Jerusalem. And Acts 20 verse 4 provides a list of men who brought money from the various churches Paul wanted it done this way so that he would not be accused of stealing In Acts 20 verse 6 marks the beginning of Paul's trip to Jerusalem In Acts 20 verse 16 the scripture says that as Paul was returning on his third missionary journey he passed around Ephesus he didn't he passed he sailed past I'm sorry Ephesus because he was in a hurry he didn't have time to spend to spend in Asia, he was trying to get to Jerusalem because he wanted to be there on the day of Pentecost because Pentecost was one of the most important feast day for the Jews. Over a million Jews would have been in Jerusalem on Pentecost and Paul would have had a great evangelistic opportunity, but not only did he want to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost, he also wanted to get there in a hurry because as we're going to learn, he has this contribution for the needy saints in Jerusalem. He has relief for the saints there. So at this point, Paul's on a mission to get this contribution to the saints in Jerusalem. I submit to you that this contribution is a big part of the, of the New Testament. It is mentioned in Acts, it is mentioned in Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, it is mentioned all over the place. This is a big part of the New Testament. God is using the Gentile Christians to, to provide relief for the Jewish Christians. And so, on the third missionary journey, we've traveled with Paul from Antioch and Syria through Galatia, back to many of the churches that he planted on his first journey, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe. We've gone with him to Ephesus. We've gone with him to Troas. Through Macedonia, we spent some time with him in Corinth, and due to an assassination attempt on his life, Paul wasn't able to go across the Mediterranean Sea at that point. Instead, he had to backtrack, go back through Macedonia, back to the Troas, where he worshiped with the saints on the first day of the week. He goes to Matalina, he goes to Chios, Samos, and we are with him right now in Miletus, Acts 20, verse 17. He's going to meet with the elders from Ephesus and Miletus. And then after spending some time with the elders there, he's going to make his way to Jerusalem with his contribution for the needy saints. That's a lot of information I know to digest, but I hope you will see that it is important. I hope you can see that God is using Paul to do so much in the first century. So much good is being done through the work of this man He's making an impact on the world. And let us try to make an impact on our world that we live in today.